0: Honestly, I mean, truthfully, you you never would find it. I've never, and it may be out there, but I've never heard of somebody having a near-death experience where they go, well, you need to go back and join the Baptist Church, or you need to start going to Mass, or you need to go back to the temple, you know, the Mormon temple, you really almost never hear that. And I started to pay attention to that. And so at some point, I started to um, think about other things, and then these near-death experiences were starting to show me a different view. And I was starting to think this Mormon church, because there are some beautiful truths in there, that it had this beautiful view of the cosmos, but it was like this big, like looking through just a telescope. And I knew that the cosmos and everything in it was huge and wide and vast and just amazing, and I was really tired of that little view. You got to relax and-
1: another show accentuating the positive with karen swain here we are with another fascinating conversation for you today with the gorgeous (laughs) i've got a friend online (laughs) Kristen. i'm so
0: excited
1: (laughs) welcome kristen so great to have you online
0: (laughs) thank you thank you karen i'm excited
1: so kristen and i met how many years ago oh I don't even know now she was one of the first to join the inner sanctum groups when I started them way back when whenever that was and um, years
0: ago seven seven, eight years
1: ago and she's hanging in there I think you're the only original member people come (laughs) and go and like hundreds of people say they come and they never come so I don't know I might change it up a bit change the the uh, time we meet so that it can be appropriate, more appropriate for people in Australia and also in the Northern Hemispheres. So I've been telling Kristen, she's
0: got to share her story on the show for (laughs) years. I've been telling my friends, uh, we talk often on this show about coming out of the spiritual closet. And my closest friends now thought I was out of the spiritual closet. I said, no, I was out of the closet into a little room. (laughs) Yeah. So now it's going to change, right? Yeah, well, a little bit. You know, these shows don't reach millions. They
1: <laughs> might reach a few hundred or a couple of thousand but across the world, but they might never yeah. even reach the people that you know in your community. Yes, often people think when they go on a podcast show, the whole world's going to know who they are. And, you know, <laughs> a few hundred people, a few thousand people. I mean, right. there are podcast shows out there now that millions of people are watching. So things are changing in the spiritual podcasting world things are definitely changing but Kristen's got an amazing story to share yeah when I've asked her to share her story then more stuff happens and more stuff more stuff happens it's been this ongoing so I know a little bit about your story uh, but you know not all of it I suppose but we're going to share your story with people today let me tell people a little bit about you so mother of for Kristen Miss Mash grew up in the Mormon Church often referred to as the LDS Church in California and at the age of 45 she decided to leave the church much to her husband's disapproval and follow a more secular spiritual path one that she had been exploring for around 10 years Little did she know how far down the rabbit hole this pursuit would take her and how life would present her with challenges to overcome and cement her newfound spiritual knowledge. With the transition of her husband in 2019 and navigating her community and children, Kristen decided not to throw the baby out with the bathwater When living her spiritual principles, she took with her a lot of what she learned within the LBS church. Today, Kristen helps facilitate consciousness events and gatherings. She also helps to create community for people who feel they have lost their community because they no longer resonate with the teachings within them. A Yusui Reiki master and teacher, Kristen facilitates sound baths and drum circles in her Reiki studio located in Murray, Utah, near Salt Lake City. And she has got a website. There's not much on it yet. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, there'll be a little bit more on it. Yes. <laughs> I, think I, I think I asked her about, oh, I don't know how many years ago, get a website, put a website up. Okay, Karen. okay. <laughs> and the website is Kristen Miss Smash dot com well darling one we've got a big journey to get through today yes let's start when you decided you're you grew up mormon and there's a yes. lot of like principles given to you about how you who you are and how to live when did you start to
0: question that it's a really good question in i think about that often when did i really start to question things I always followed the teachings and it always felt right to me growing up. And I grew up Mormon outside of Utah. and I had a pretty, we call it um, active Mormon family. My parents were very active in the church. they had callings. I had a big well, I still do have a big Mormon family, seven older brothers, three little sisters. So you know, I'm the eighth out of eleven people. <laughs> out of 11 children. So that's a big family. Um, I always went to church growing up Mormon outside of Utah. I always kind of felt like a little bit of an outsider. The Mormon community is really, really tight and very supportive. So, you know, with my family and other families at church, it didn't really bother me much just at church, at school and things like that. I didn't, you know, have a lot of Mormon friends. I always had a lot of, we call them non-Mormon friends. You know, I had one friend who was Jewish And I always wanted to go play with her at her house, but I couldn't play with her on Saturdays because that was her Sabbath. And I couldn't go play with her on Sundays because that was my Sabbath. So things like that. As I grew up and became a teenager, you know, I didn't drink or smoke or sleep with boys because that's not a very Mormon thing to do. But all my friends did. It's very common in the Mormon faith. They tell us every member is a missionary. So you're always supposed to be proclaiming the gospel and sharing. And I kind of just kept that to the side. So I never felt like I was the proper Mormon because I didn't do that all the time. But I, I mean, I truly believed the teachings that I was living and I love my heavenly father. And every time, you know, if I thought about doing something wrong or incorrect, I kind of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint my heavenly father. You know, he he loves me. And, and uh, he knows my heart and he'll forgive me, but gosh, I just, I just wanna do what's right. So I just grew up like that. And you know, I wavered here and there, partied a little bit when I went away to college at Brigham Young University, the God's university, which is the Mormon university. That's what they jokingly call it. <laughs> you know, veered off the straight and narrow a little bit, but always went back. And I eventually um, married, met and married a man I had come to live with my parents who had settled in Utah when they retired. And in that time, I met and married the man of my dreams. And we made a conscious choice to, are we going to do this Mormon thing? So we got married in the temple, which is very much the Mormon thing. Um, And in the views, that's you're sealed for time and all eternity when you're married in the Mormon temple. And we decided to raise our children in the church. And he came from a home that wasn't quite as active as mine. So, you know, his dad didn't go to church, but his mom did. His parents weren't married and sealed in the temple, but my parents were like, but we decided to come together and raise our children together. They talk a lot in the Mormon church about things like feeling the Holy Ghost. I don't know, do other churches talk about that card? I don't know. They talk about the Godhead, right? There's Jesus Christ, there's God the Father, and there's the Holy Ghost. And some churches, it's all one. Well, in the Mormon church, there are three distinct personalities and the Holy Ghost is always with me. As long as I'm living the righteous, true principles and doing what I should be doing, then I'm going to have the Holy Ghost as this soft whisper in my ear. That's going to tell me like, gosh, you know, maybe you shouldn't turn down that street if it's going to be perilous or, oh, you should go talk to that person over there. That's by themselves or that homeless man really does deserve a dollar kind of things like that little bit of guidance. And then maybe if I'm feeling really low, the Holy Ghost is going to comfort me and make me feel better. And so um, there were times in my life. Well, and then also too, like, maybe I was somewhere and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. And we're taught in the Mormon church, you're going to get this beautiful, warm feeling in your chest. That's the spirit confirming to you that something that you're hearing is true, right? Right? So what I'm talking about are these principles that I grew up with that um, were very much Mormon spiritual principles. And there would be times when I would be sitting in church and sometimes just in the group with all the women, they call that the Relief Society. And I'd be like, after five or 10 or 15 minutes, I'd be like, oh, there it is, I feel it. the spirit must be really strong in the room right now. The Holy Ghost must be really present. Oh, that's really lovely, okay. So I guess I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the Mormon church. And I do specifically remember things about excluding um, people that were Black, uh, you know, African Americans in America, but Black people from having all the keys of the priesthood and being sealed in these temples. And they were denied it for many years. And they actually weren't given um, any of the regular rites and rituals that sealed my family for time and eternity, but they weren't allowed to have that not until the mid seventies. And I like to think, cause I don't know for sure that if I was growing up Mormon in the seventies, like I was born in 1970, right? But if I was a, my age now or in my thirties or forties, I would have like left the church then. Cause I think that's horrendous, you know, to deny these spiritual God-given blessings, you know, to somebody just because of the color of their skin. <laughs> So there's controversies like that, right? And then also, too, in the Mormon faith, women are supposed to, they're much more subservient. And uh, my cat wants my water, so I'm going to move that. (laughs) But the men hold the priesthood, and the men have all the keys, and the men hold all the major callings, and the men run the church. And I can be on a committee and do a bunch of things that run that committee, but I always have to turn to the men to make sure it's done right. And that's kind of bothersome too, but um, around the time that I really, like you said, when I was 45, um, leading up to that, you know, somewhere in my forties, there were a lot of women in the Mormon church who were crying out. They wanted to have these priesthood keys as well. You know, they wanted to be able to bestow a healing blessing on their children rather than waiting for, you know, husband to come home from work or to have some higher profile member of the congregation come and do it those kinds of things. And I actually didn't want the priesthood myself because that's a lot of responsibility. I already had a responsibility with a husband who worked two full-time jobs and four kids, right? I didn't want that, but I knew there were women that wanted it. And um, also there was a lot of exclusionary things going on with the LGBTQ community and, you know, with churches and Christian faiths and here's my cat, she really wants my water. (laughs) But anyway, uh there's, you know, they say it's in the Bible, it's an abomination, all these things. So all the Christian faiths, and the Mormon church really is a Christian faith because it's very Christ centered. But uh there was a lot of outcry um, because people who were gay couldn't also couldn't go to the temples and get married and sealed and have their families be forever. So there were just all these things that were coming and building. And in the meantime, you know, I was having these spiritual experiences, you know, there are spiritual experiences in the spiritual community, but in my church community, I'd feel the Holy ghost to my chest. I'd sometimes get a whisper here and there. Actually one time I did hear a booming voice and all of this was leading up to just, you know, gosh, you know, I know that there's this beauty out there and there is this truth and this knowledge. And I had always studied, I think since my teens, near death experiences. So that's kind of my gateway drug out of the church. We'll call it that if you will, but um, near death experiences and they were fascinating and people would go to the other side for moments when they'd be declared dead or not. I would read up on it and be like, oh, did they see heaven? Like they taught me about it in the Mormon church. Oh, did they see the three degrees of glory? You know, did Christ come and say, go back and fulfill your callings at church and pay your tithing? Like I was always looking for these validations. And I honestly, I mean, truthfully, you you never would find it. I've never, and it may be out there, but I've never heard of somebody having a near death experience where they go, well, you need to go back and join the Baptist church or you need to start going to mass or you need to go back to the temple, you know, the Mormon temple. You really almost never hear that. And I started to pay attention to that. And so at some point, I started to um, think about other things. And then these near-death experiences were starting to show me a different view. And I was started to think this Mormon church, because there are some beautiful truths in there, that it had this beautiful view of the cosmos, but it was like this big, like looking through just a telescope. And I knew that the cosmos and everything in it was huge and wide and vast and just amazing. And I was really tired of that little view. All these things, you know, what's this discrimination of women, discrimination of gay people, discrimination of people because of the color of their skin. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. And so um, I started to with the magic of the internet and YouTube. And I had this iPad that my family had given me for Mother's Day. And I'd get everybody to bed at night and I'd hunker down, on my iPad and stick my headphones in and I'd watch whatever I want and my boys were teenagers then and them and my husband like I would look up all kinds of things like you know is this really footage of Bigfoot or the queen is an alien shapeshifter or it just the craziest stuff but I knew they would mock me for it right like but then of course you know the algorithm's kind of smart it starts to feed you stuff. And I started to actually get um, people like Dolores Cannon in my feed as I had watched like every near-death experience I could on there, right? And looking for truths and a bigger view of the cosmos. And um, and I started to really just actually, I'd buy books, but I'd buy them on my iPad so my family wouldn't see me reading them because they'd mock me for it, you know? I really, they did. They already knew I would watch like all the ghost stories things on TV um, and I would, I would watch all the shows with the mediums that would do the readings in the room and, you know, the Long Island medium and stuff like that. And I just got to a point like, why am I watching a show for this? I know that these things are real. People really do have these gifts. Maybe I could find somebody that could do this for me, you know, locally. And, and um, I was a dance mom. My t- I have two, I had two boys and two girls, right? And these two young girls would go to dance. And there was a dance mom that not everybody chatted with all the time, but I chat with everybody because I just, I love everybody. And she was reading this book. We'd always be like, oh, what book are you reading? You know, which Outlander book are you on or whatever? And this woman, I would just ask her because nobody was really talking to her because she's a little quirky, if you will. She's actually one of my dear friends now. But she was reading a book on this thing called Reiki. And I was like, I couldn't even say the word. And she started to tell me about this Reiki experience. And I know now what she was talking about. She was talking about the experiences she was having in her Reiki attunements, which is when you know you're connect. You start to become connected to the Reiki rays to be a facilitator. And she handed me this book, and I kept like closing the book because I'd open it and I'd read the introduction, and I felt like I was reading a different language. But I was like, This is in English, but I don't understand a word. Of this book, this is so weird, you know, and um I would just go, well, that's, that's lovely, but, and she would just tell me about these spiritual experiences, and I was just fascinated, and, you know, it turns out that she's, she can see spirits, and, and family members, and she does readings, I've had many readings from her now, but she's the one I turned to when I said, hey, I think I should, I kind of want to get a reading, um, do you know anybody, and she's like, oh, yes, 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 and she sent me to this one woman. And, you know, I was still a member of the church at the time. And it was kind of like, shh, don't tell anybody. I don't know if I'd get in trouble, things like that. But I went and I had this reading and it was pretty dang good. It was pretty cool. And she said some things about my main guides, two guides. This is what she did. She went, okay, you know, oh, you have two main guides and they're right here with you. Everybody has a guide. And They don't really have gender. Oh, this one—he's a man. He's telling us—he's—he's telling me—he's a man. And this other one—oh, it's female—and you're connected with her, and you have something in common with her. And and she says there's a similarity, and we talked, and then she did this reading. It was about a half an hour. I never quite pinpointed who this woman was. I thought maybe it was a grandmother, Um, but I didn't tell this woman that I'm adopted. So that's is something I haven't said here either. I'm adopted. I was adopted as a newborn and sealed to my family for time and eternity through a temple ceremony. It was quite lovely. You know, there was always this discussion between me and my husband. He's like, well, that's not your blood family. I'm like, yeah, but it's my spiritual family. Like, you know, I'm grafted in like the olive tree, like in the scriptures and we're sealed, you know? And so we would always have these discussions. But anyway, this woman giving me this reading, she goes, whoever she is, you're connected with her. She says there's a similarity and she wants you to know you're quite psychic and it runs in the family. And I went, okay, I don't even, I didn't even tell this lady that I'm adopted. So like, what family does this run in? Like I had met my birth mother by that point, but I hadn't met my birth father. Like I didn't, I didn't know, uh, whatever. So I thought about it, you know, people out there, if you get readings and Karen, you probably know, like sometimes later you think about it and you go, oh, I know what that is. So it's actually, I don't remember now how I arrived at it because this was about 10 years ago, but it turns out that it's my great-grandmother and the similarity is that I'm named after her. My name is Kristen Elizabeth and her name is Elizabeth. She died in the early sixties, so I never knew her. And it's my adopted great-grandmother but I'm quite psychic and it runs in the family. But I thought about her daughter, my grandmother, and she lived by the Holy Ghost pretty tight all the time. My own mom, the one that raised me, my adopted mother, who I will always just refer to as my mom, was also very intuitive, but listened to the Holy Ghost, right? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, so I just thought that was very interesting. I realized who it was. This woman actually stopped giving readings not long after I was going to get one. A few months later, she had stopped. Something about it. I I don't really know. I will tell you, it wasn't the warmest reading I've ever had, and I don't know that I would go back to her except for I trusted her, right? Yeah. Um, I think she just got jaded and tired of because she did this whole reading for me, and she goes, "You know, you're actually quite beautiful." Everybody comes in here and they've had all this trauma and they're crying in tears and you just have this lovely, wow. You know, you have this lovely life, right? <laughs> <laughs> so a year later I decided to go get a reading again. And um, I was recommended to a woman uh, by a good friend of mine who you met, Karen. We came to Australia with her when I came to see you, her yeah, and her daughter. You did? Um, yes. And uh, I walked right in and this, it was so interesting. This woman beautiful, warm, loving, like what you would think this medium would be just big and soft and huggy, right? And she did the same thing. She goes, okay, you oh, you have two guides and they're right here. And this one, they don't usually say that they're male or female, but this one's telling us it's a man and this one, it's a woman. And I go, and it's Elizabeth. And she goes, yeah, it's Elizabeth. Yes. And she goes, she wants you to know something. You're quite psychic and it runs in the family. So (laughs) totally different medium. Totally yeah. different. Love it. Yeah. So that's where I just finally said, all right, no holds barred. Let's just, I'm not, I'm just going to study everything I want. And I started studying Dolores Cannon and, you know, there's so much there and everything I read from her or watched her YouTube videos, it all rang true. And I'd get that feeling here. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes actually it would grow a little bit and it wouldn't be just there. Mm -hmm. And I started reading Garnet Schulhauser, and we've talked about him, and you've had him on your show, and I actually met him in person, but his books, his first three or four books, oh, they just opened my eyes to what it really is like on the other side, you know. So I've talked for quite a bit there, and there's so much more to say, but that's really, that's really where I finally arrived at, where I would start to just dive in
1: yeah this is so, totally much, more, so much more to say but yeah, yeah Kristen always tells me that Garnet Schulhauser was how she found me because I Garnet had yeah. reached out to me oh god I don't know how many years ago probably about eight years ago and um, said can I come on your show he's my story and I'm like whoa like damn this guy is amazing because he just shared a bit of his story and I put him on the show and I had no idea what he was going to say I didn't I hadn't read his books And I was totally dumbfounded at his experiences. Like, wow. incredible. Incredible. New World Teachers, you know, first in the Academy of Light and then on radio and then podcasting. So for years, and I had never heard, well, I actually had heard one other person who'd had astral adventures that had been taken with a guide to different realms. Uh, I had read a book about it. Um, Anyway, that's another story. So I had this silly cover uh, image of me going, like. and Garnet looking really serious. And Kristen thought,
0: "Is this idiot?" I kind of did. I'm like, "Gosh, he's got all this great knowledge, and why would I watch this?" But I, I, I exhausted YouTube. There were no other Garnet Schulhauser videos to watch. And then I honestly kicked myself after because you're such a delight, and your interviews are so beautiful. And then you became somebody that I learned so much from because of all the people on your show. After that right yeah so yeah oh it's been a
1: journey I know Garnet Garnet blows your mind so some of the things that yeah. his guys had shown yeah. verse and and yeah all this mystical stuff that we think is myth and he's like no not myth real <laughs> real I met yeah them. yeah squash fairies, mermaids et's you name it everything yeah. that's been put in the you know myth basket is uh, he's met them yeah. Whoa. So okay. So the 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 reader had said to you, everyone's always got these problems, and they're always crying, and they want to know why. And you've got this lovely life. So you're exploring at the time, but this lovely sort of easy life shifted somewhat, as I said in the bio. Life presented totally you with challenges to overcome to really live the principles that you'd been you grew up with and also that you've been reading about so do you want to share what happened
0: yeah i i would love to share there was a change in the church's policy where some information got leaked about their policy in the mormon church's policy that got leaked out and it was affecting children who had gay parents and it actually ripped my heart out i realized I know now that I'm a knower, right, sentient, and I could almost see with my waking eyes, but I saw it and I knew it and I knew that this change in this handbook that was leaked was going to have a horrific effect on these children that had gay parents or anybody that was gay. I could just see a wasteland of people being devastated and people taking their lives. And after this handbook change was leaked, it was just a handbook for the bishops, for the local clergy to use. If this is presented to you, this is how we handle it. And it was very exclusionary for, um, for people of the LGBTQ community. And uh, you can find research on it. It happened on November 5th of 2015 was when I actually walked away from the church because that's when I said, this is it. But the suicide rate in Utah doubled, tripled, especially with young people, and yeah. I knew it. Yeah. And, and so I walked away. Mm. So that was 2015 and the end of 2017, um, a really dear friend of mine, one of my dearest sister's friends, oh, she's actually my Reiki master now, um, came to me and said, you know, Kristen, you had this Reiki session last year after you had this surgery. And, you know, I just want to let you know, Reiki calls to people, but I just feel like I'm being tapped. That's her word. I'm being tapped that I should let you know. I'm starting a class next week, next week. And a couple of your friends are in it. And I said, well, Debbie, how much, how much does it cost again to do that? Cause she told me a year ago how much it cost. And at the time I was like, oh, all I could hear was my husband going, <laughs> yeah, forget it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, Well, okay, well, so I said, how much does it cost? And she told me, and I said, I have my own money now, but back then it was the story in my head, you know, it was the same situation, but it was the story in my head. I wasn't ready back then, but, but I said, how long does it take? And she goes, well, it takes all day, you know, to teach all this. And then we do the attunement and come back a month later, it goes all day. And when she told me that a year before, I can hear my husband going, you're going to be gone for how long? And it's costing how much? You know, but by then I'm like, he's fine with the kids, which he always was, because yeah. he's a great dad. Um, And I got the, my own money. So who cares? So I signed up to take this Reiki class. And it was in December. And she's sitting in there. And there's four of us in the room. And she says, Oh, let's go around and share what called you to Reiki. And everybody had this beautiful, like, Oh, the, you know, the light shone on the Reiki book. I don't even remember something like that. And I said, Honestly, Debbie, you called me, and this time it made sense, so I signed up. (laughs) So I did the first, the first session, and got my attunement for level one Reiki. And um, she's very um, adamant that you do a 21 day cleanse before you do level two, because there's a lot of purging that your system or upgrades or whatever you want to call it. So that was in December. Uh, We we ended up ended up being about 30 days till we could get back together as a group, just with coordinating schedules and husbands and kids and stuff like that. And what's really interesting is in that 30 day period, my husband, we sat in a doctor's office and he'd been having tests run for a couple months. And finally there was actual news that they found what the problem was. And we were sitting in the doctor's office and we were handed a stage four cancer diagnosis. And the doctor was dancing around this number and he wasn't even saying stage four, but it was cancer. He had appendiceal cancer. It's a very rare cancer. And in fact, he had the rarest form of this very rare cancer. And I realized, oh, he's saying that he has stage four cancer. And this is how the thoughts ran in my head. And it was quick fire. And it was, oh my gosh, my children, they're going to lose their father. And then the next thought was, oh my gosh, my mother-in-law, she's going to lose another child. Even though my husband was a grown man, but she had lost a, they had lost somebody in the family who was 20 years old to a drunk driver. And then finally I got to me and the thought was, oh my gosh, what about me? And I went, now it's time to know and to see if I can really walk the walk and talk the talk of all this spiritual stuff I've been learning. And I actually said, challenge accepted. And I took it on. And that was um, January 1st, or I'm sorry, January 11th, 2018, when he was diagnosed, 111. And so the next time when I went to Reiki level two, mm-hmm. okay, so it was about a week or so later. In that week, my husband was given a book called Radical Remission. And it was about this research that the psychologist had done. All people all over the world who had cured themselves of stage four cancer, there were nine things that these people had done all over the world. And there was an entire chapter in there on energy work, namely Reiki. And so he had given me crap the month before going, how long are you gonna be gone? How much is this? I got my own money and you're great with the kids. By the time he he finished that chapter, he said, when are you going back to learn level two? You've gotta do Reiki on me every day. Wow. And I sat there in the class and I said, now I know why it was called Reiki. And I did Reiki on him all year long, and he passed March the next year in 2019. So, and I did Reiki on him often, actually. <laughs> and there's some really cool things to share about that with his passing, but.
1: Oh, God, are we going to get through this without bawling yes yeah.
0: <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I know, I've lived it. I've heard this story a million times. You've heard this story a million times, and you were here for it. You I were. Know. You were one of my spiritual guidances all through it all. It's so interesting because
1: someone in our group has passed recently and Mm -hmm. we're looking for her psychically because she kind of just disappeared from the group and one of the other participants said, I'm not sure, I think she might be dead because she was not a very well person and I'd often thought that she might be dead when she disappeared before. But when searching for someone that you love and know, it's like it just interferes with the psychic and it was the same with your husband every time you ask me, is he going to live or die? I would never get the direct, I would say, it's his choice. It's his choice. It's his choice. But there was a young man in our group that came a few times. Do you remember? And you were talking about it one day and he said, oh yeah, he's going to pass soon. And then everyone like that. And he was so like, oh, did I say something terrible? But no, he didn't say something terrible. He just said the truth, but it's kind of Shocking
0: when you hear it like that, but he it, never came it, back it, to the group. I think he was scared. Him he, he was, he, he, it was shocking. I'm trying to remember who that was. Yeah. It was interesting because you wouldn't ever just say, and I actually had a knowing about two months after his diagnosis. Yeah, you did. Um, I you had did. a knowing that you had I had a knowing be, at the diagnosis. You had. That. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I had a knowing that I would be a widow before I was 50 years old. And I was actually 48 when he passed.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And he did have a choice because there were some um, choices with his treatment that he made towards the end Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: um, that uh, accelerated his passing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: into the other realms that accelerated that that he he did something that all the black box reaction showed up and it, it was totally his choice and he didn't have to do it. But in a way, it's a blessing if you want to use that term. I don't usually use it, but it was because he was in pain. It was awful. Yeah, and cancer is, you know, Karen. Yeah, you've watched it too. I've lived through it. As it's well, brutal. It's brutal. Well, I don't know. If,
1: cancer <laughs> can be brutal. I think the treatment is brutal. I think the treatment is br- brutal. The
0: treatment is brutal. The there you go. Brutal. Thank you. Uh,
1: the treatment's brutal. But I did. Anyway.
0: I did do Reiki on him often.
1: You yeah. did. And, and let me ask you. And how do you think the Reiki helped? Because obviously it didn't save his life.
0: It didn't cure him.
1: No. And how do you feel when you said to your, you know, guides, mob, Holy Spirit, what do they call it? <laughs> Trying to find the names. When you said Daniel, Elizabeth,
0: Daniel and Elizabeth, they're well, my main guys. When you said to the universe,
1: have... God, well, when you said to the God, okay, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. How did going through the illness and the passing of your husband- you know, help you walk as a talk. And, um, so two questions, how did the Reiki help him and how did it help you walk your talk?
0: Yeah. I will tell you this first, how I walked my walk and talked my talk. I went to him and I said, I want you to know, because I do know that the, I do come from the camp that the treatment for cancer is more brutal than the cancer itself. Um, but I told him, this is your life. This is your body. I will support you in any way you want, whether you do treatments or not, I will support you. And he decided to go with chemo and he took on all kinds of diets and read the China, what do they call that, the China, like he took dairy out of his, you know, and he became vegetarian and he did a lot of intermittent fasting. It was actually quite beautiful. Um, And he had, there were some miracles and, um, but it was really interesting. He traveled for work and, oh my gosh, it was only about two weeks after he was diagnosed. He, call, he called me in the morning. I was on my way to work. And he's like, I had the most incredible, like the most incredible thing happened in the hotel room last night. And I was like, what was it? And he started to describe this blue light showed up and he felt his grandmother call it. He heard his grandmother call his name. Was this grandmother's beloved grandmother in their family who had passed a few years before. And just, he had this thing and I said, Oh, that's really cool. You know, cause whenever I would talk spiritual stuff before this, he was like, whatever, you know, more than the prophet does. You think you know more than God? No, <laughs> but you know, right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so he's saying, oh, I had this happen. And I said, oh, that's really cool. And it was silent. And I go, well, I kind of have an idea. Do you want me to tell you, like I was being really sheepish and he goes, yeah, I'm telling you this. Cause I want you to tell me what happened to me. And I was like, oh, he believes me now. So he really flipped. yeah. And, and I did. And it was, it was this blue healing light his grandmother was giving him. And I believe now, because I knew he was going to pass, mm-hmm. that it was a protective loving bubble
1: mm-hmm.
0: for him. And in fact, when I would do Reiki on him, um, his grandmother would be at this side of me every time. And, you know, I'm laying my hands on him and she'd have one hand on her, my shoulder and her other hand on my hand. And his brother, who had passed years before, was on the other side every single time. Wow. I did Reiki mm-hmm. on it. But, um, you know, I just was open to all possibilities of him miracles coming in. Um, but I was also open to the possibility that he was going to pass. And, uh, and, and I wanted to make it as beautiful as possible because everything I learned is that the other side is the most amazing place to be. And I knew that he would always be with me and he's around all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have, um, uh, there's so many things that, that are amazing. Um, the There's so much that I, you know, I had all these expectations and he didn't come to me with questions like, what's it going to look like when I die? But I was like, well, I hope I get to talk to him after he dies because these are all these things that I study and I can't wait to hear what he says about it. And in fact, there were some really cool things, um, uh, about that. And, um, <clears throat> but I did, uh, I'm going to go to the Reiki for a minute because I did do Reiki on him often. I didn't do it on him every day because he'd still traveled for work and I would feel these presences there often. And, um, I learned a lot about myself with the Reiki because he was the first person I'd ever done it on. And he was the only person for a long time. But the cancer progressed over the course of that year, so he was diagnosed in January, and come December, he was in the hospital, and he was in a really bad way. Um, The type of cancer he had didn't really like eat away at his digestive system, it choked it out, and so he was having all kinds of digestive issues and bowel issues and surgeries to correct. And I would just be in the hospital. He'd be like, oh, it's hurting, it's hurting, it's hurting. Come do Reiki on me, come do Reiki on me. And I wouldn't do the whole session like on the head and all down the body. I would just direct it. And it was also, I'll just add this. It was really cool because nurses would walk in and out and I'd be like, oh, do they care that I'm over here? And they, they wouldn't bat an eye. They wouldn't bat an eye. They just let me do my thing. It was really beautiful. But I learned about myself with Reiki. Um, and Karen, you know, this, cause you tried to train me on many things that I'm an overthinker and I'll talk myself out of stuff. And so when I am channeling the Reiki rays and my hands are, are being used, I kind of actually step out of myself and have a conversation over here so that I can be this hollow bone, this pure channel of the Reiki rays and let them do what they're going to do. And at the, one of these points in the hospital, because I knew he'd turn a corner, um, I had this side conversation with myself and I went, you know, I know that this is not going to cure him. So why am I doing this Reiki? Why am I doing this Reiki? Mm. It's not going to cure him. And a voice came clear in my head. And I know this voice now that it's my main guide, Daniel. And, and he said, this isn't meant to cure him. This is meant to prepare him. That was it. Now I never told anybody that because Nobody else outside of my husband and my kids knew I was doing Reiki on him, except for my Reiki master, and um, and me, <laughs> and and Karen, and my dear friend Karen. And the group, um, but nobody else, nobody else really did, because I was still in the closet, and his family would have thought I was absolutely nuts, and so would my family. I don't know, you know, those are the assumptions we make when we do these kinds of things. So um, he passed a few months later into the other realms, and the beautiful people Karen knows, because I went to visit you in Australia in 2019, and I brought this friend of mine and her beautiful daughter, gifted daughter. And this friend of mine actually grew up with my husband in the same congregation at church and in the same neighborhoods, and they were very close, and close with her daughter. And the day that the night that he passed, he came to her, um, to this gifted daughter. She's just... She sees spirits, has since she was a child. She's a young adult woman in her 20s by this point. And this is how my friend tells me. She she came and she goes, mom, 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 Andrew's standing in my room. Andrew's my husband's name. Andrew's standing in my room and he's talking to me or he's trying to talk to me, but he can't, he's not saying anything. And and my friend was like, I, what's he, what's he want to do? I don't know, mom. I can't understand him. And she said, well, I don't know just go back to bed. Maybe he'll come back another. I don't know. You know, it was, you know, two o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, something like that. So the way my friend tells me is the next morning they're sitting there, it's like seven o'clock in the morning and they're having their coffee and they're sitting here like this with their coffee cups and looking at each other. And she goes, so did Andrew come back? And she goes, yes, he did. And he had a lot to say. He learned how to communicate in <gasps> whatever, a couple hours. Yeah, and he has messages for Kristen we need to go talk to her so then that was actually the night that he passed away well she came to me she gave me a couple days because there was a lot to do and they came and came to my house and they said you know uh, are you okay did Andrew have you had messages from Andrew you know and everybody I actually have a lot of gifted friends now and Karen, you're one of them but a lot of he actually went to a lot of people (laughs) and everybody was like really careful. Like, should we should we say something to Kristen? And I'm gonna be honest with you. I was counting on everybody else because I knew I'd probably be blocked because I was I was sad. I I was relieved. I was so relieved that he was gone because that was just not a beautiful ending for uh. for the life of a beautiful man. But but um I had a lot of friends and I said, you guys, I'm just relying on you guys. So please tell me, what did you get? <laughs> Uh, because I believed in all this stuff. Well, she said that he came and, uh, he talked about, um, just what it was like when he passed and could I see this golden light in the room? And no, I couldn't, you know, we were all in tears. Everybody was around him, surrounding his body, died in my home, in our home. Um, but, uh, then she kind of told me a few other things and then she goes, okay, okay, okay. Like as always standing there. Okay, I can't get into it. I'm gonna ask, I'll ask her. Give me a second. And she goes, she goes, he wants you to know Reiki is real and you prepared me well. Oh. And I told nobody nothing about that in the hospital. No. Nothing. You're cracking so, me up, girl. You're cracking me up. I know. <laughs> yeah and so there you go I and I don't believe Reiki is the only thing that's real but I do still operate with Reiki and I have learned other modalities and other shaman tools and all kinds of things but yeah here's the miracle Mm -hmm. often when people are sick they're
1: looking for a miracle like you're going to get better and stay on earth that's what they look for and that's what they call them but the miracle is not the not dying the miracle is the shift in perspective from fear to love yes like andrew i met andrew on zoom he had a he had strong opinions do you know what i mean like like churches do (laughs) yes that no one is going to bend those beliefs because i'm bloody right and all the rest of you are wrong right like he was that sort of person yeah he was very dogmatic which in this life can be can make one quite successful when you sort of, you know, hold, hold to what you believe. Mm-hmm. But that the miracle of that, that's the miracle, that shifting of perspective and softening and opening, you know, that's what the sickness and the death experience gave him. And that that Reiki that you did on him was even more of that he got to experience what you were talking about. Like had he not been sick, he would never have asked you to do Reiki on him and he would not have got to experience what you were experiencing.
0: Right. And maybe
1: I would have never
0: really stepped into doing Reiki. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. What a what a what a better way to catapult me into stepping into something yeah. that's a beautiful way to tap into the energetic life force that's out there for everyone. Yeah. So in his
1: decision mm-hmm. to don a human life and be dogmatic and get sick and change his perspective and leave the planet, you know, was a blessing because it really helped you step into your own.
0: Yeah.
1: Because you were holding all these beliefs or discovering many things and, and going on a journey that the community around you was against. Right. And so this experience just, you know, helped you know
0: helped you live yeah 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 the, be- the beautiful thing is is that um you know the reiki really does go in concordance with the healing that goes through a priesthood blessing Andrew and oh, yeah. i had an argument a huge long argument over all the things that i was questioning in the church mm-hmm. and i said to him and this was before i really knew about reiki and i said you know I just believe there's this energetic life force out there and you were taught within the church and other pastors and people in churches and faiths were taught a certain way to access it. I believe I could access it too. And that's what I believe Reiki is. And I have a dear friend, a dear friend, and he's uh, worked right up with the prophets in the church and he's, he's a doctor. And um, we had a discussion. He, he learned Reiki from um, another woman and then ended up finishing his Reiki training with the same Reiki teacher that I have. Um, and we're all really great friends. But I, one time I was talking to him and he said, Yeah, I've, I learned Reiki and, and uh, you know, is interesting. And I said, What well, was interesting about it? And he said, Well, it was interesting. And when I got to level two, where you start to lay your hands on the person and channel the Reiki rays, he said he went like this he goes I put my hands and then I went like this and and I went I know what that is and I said oh what is that kind of in this like snarky little sassy way I'm like what is that and he looked at me and he looked at me and I said what it feel like and he goes it felt like the priesthood um here he had learned to channel the reiki rays and he'd been offering priesthood blessings for many 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 years and it, he said it felt the exact same. Yeah. So.
1: I mean, as we, you know, discussed in the bio, you don't throw the baby out in the bathwater. A lot of I, the teachings through church, any church really, describes a lot of what we experience in a consciousness, mm-hmm. spiritual community, whatever you want to call us, new age, you know, I don't care what label you give us. We love labeling here on earth. <laughs> 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 but. uh You've been a, you know, a student and a teacher of deliberate creation, both through me and many other teachers, Mm -hmm. and the principles of deliberate creation is feel good, feel God, and um, also that God aspect or source aspect has been referred to as the higher self or soul or the universe, you know, we are one, which is quite different to church teachings, which puts a God outside of yourself, like you're contacting some entity outside of you right yeah. contacting the divine aspect of you outside of ego and personality and you know human conditioning how do you um how does it dovetail for you the sort of the mormon teachings and the deliberate creation teachings i'd love to hear
0: yeah hear that i love to, i love to talk about it because this is some of the things that i work to do in my community because so many people i mean Churches all over, but the Mormon Church—that's the topic of conversation because I live in Mormon Mecca in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mecca, yeah, yeah, that's basically what we call it. And you know, they're hemorrhaging members because the internet can't hide the falsities that you know they perpetuate. And and the world is waking up, Karn. We talk about it all the time. We're all waking up, right? But you know what i what I am absolutely grateful for till the day I die are the teachings in the church that were this foundation. You know, that Holy Ghost that speaks to me. He's spoken to me a few times in my life. But guess what? His voice sounds exactly like my spirit guide, Daniel. Isn't that funny? Right. Right? Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. the exact same voice, the exact same tone. So now I go, oh, the Holy Ghost is really my main guide. They don't care what we call them. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They're just here to offer us comfort, Mm -hmm. give us guidance if we're open to it. So my church taught me to be open to listening and I heard him. And now I know, you know, who it is um and also I'm really grateful for the foundation of the way that I was taught to pray uh I was taught to pray to open in gratitude you know thank your heavenly Father for all your many blessings if I sit to meditate how do I get to the highest vibration I sit in gratitude before everything and then I get right connected to source and everything right right deliberate creation you know in in the Mormon church there <laughs> not to talk about this topic for very long, but they they talk about pay your tithing, pay your tithing, pay your tithing. I mean, the money in the Mormon church is a hot topic, but we're taught to pay our tithing. But the way that they teach it is deliberate creation because they say, if you pay your tithing with the right spirit and you pay that first with the best of intentions, all the blessings will follow. And so there was a wow. time when, Andrew and I, we were planning this trip with our kids, and the money was tight, and certain things didn't happen that were supposed to happen. And I said, okay, 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 I'm going to do it in the right spirit. And I wrote our tithing check before I paid anything else. And then I paid the house payment, the car payment, the insurance, and a couple bills. And we didn't really have very much money to go on this trip, but we'd promised the kids, what are we going to do? But I just sat in. I paid my tithing. I did it with the right spirit. And guess what? I found a gas card that had a thousand dollar limit on it so we could put gas, petrol for you, fuel in the car so we could go to take the kids to Disneyland and some job that was never going to pay on, paid on. And all these beautiful blessings came because I paid my tithing in the right spirit, right? But really that's just deliberate creation. And I sit in that same exact teaching now. Yeah. So I do believe that these religions and, you know, not to go down a dark turn, but I think they take these principles and they twist them. Yeah. They know deliberate creation. Yeah. You can't tell me they don't know that. Mm-hmm. They know that and they well, twist it. I they don't let me get totally connected to my spirit guide. They let me get just an inkling. Just a little it. bit, just so I can control it. But mm-hmm. um, I, I want to illustrate some of the
1: best, you know, teachers, on deliberate creation. So the lady that made, what's her name? God, that made the secret. A oh yeah. Television producer. She was talking about how she made the secret, mm-hmm. raising money. So we're talking about money, pay tithing. She right. was saying that um, it kind of exploded, and the money that the Channel Nine had given her that ha- had uh, said, you know, she was going to make it for television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a longer story, and they sort of gave her some money, but it sort of exploded. She needed millions more. And she was like, I was going to use the secret to create the secret. And she said that she was feeling the um, the limit, the lack of the money she needed to finish the movie, the documentary. And she said, so she was sitting in lack and she wanted to sit in abundance because she knew that when she felt abundance. So how do they explain it? Pay your tithing with the spirit.
0: In the right tone. In the right time. In the right energy. And we're yeah. all, all, every Mormon's taught that. Every right. Mormon has taught that.
1: So what she did to generate that feeling of, of abundance and generosity in herself was she took out some money from her bank account, personal money, and she went down the street and started giving money out to people, like not just by people, like random, just giving money out to people yeah. to yeah. invoke that feeling of joy and um, generosity and abundance. Yeah. And then all these investors came in and she fin- and millions of yep. dollars were raised and she finished the movie, you know, that's, that's a, but uh, also... Louise Hay spoke about this too. You know, she was a, one of the first teachers of deliberate creation talking about um, don't be resentful of your bills. Like, be grateful that the money that you're paying to the electricity company is putting your lights on. You know, just coming right. back that spirit or that tone Or and when you pay money out, don't like a oh, bloody electricity bill, uh, bloody taxes, uh, Esther and Jerry Hicks, the same thing. Abraham would say, Pay your taxes and don't think, oh, these taxes are funding war. Think about where the taxes, uh, where your money is going. It's building the roads. It's um, right upgrading the highway. It's doing things that is helping me. Like
0: think about it in the yeah. So it's the same teachings in many ways. It is, and I was and I was taught that, and and I actually am very grateful for that. Uh, there's there are a lot of teachings in the church. You know, I was taught that um, that the earth that the earth has a consciousness in the Mormon church. Now that's a little bit of a stretch, but this is how I was taught that. And me and my father would talk about this often. In the Mormon faith, uh, Christ was the one who created the earth. He was instructed by God and he came down and created this earth. And when Christ (laughs) in the teachings was crucified on the cross, the earth wept for its creator. So how could it not weep if it didn't have a consciousness? So I was taught in lessons that rock over there has a consciousness or, you know, Jesus Christ created it. Right. So I was taught things like that. And then I was also taught to listen to the spirit. So that's my, my spirit guides. And then I hear, I even hear you say this sometimes and I, I absolutely love this. So in the Mormon faith and in the church, when you're an active member, you're given callings. So you're a teacher, or you teach lessons, or you get up and talk in church, or you get up, like, it's, it's a lay clergy, so all the members are the ones that are doing all the teaching, and, you know, I could get called up to the stand to give a talk in front of the entire congregation on the fly, but you know what, If I'm guided by the spirit, I'm going to say exactly what the congregation needs to hear. And I've even heard you say this, Karen, and I'm always like giggling to myself because I'd sit and I'd prepare this whole lesson to teach to my Sunday school class. And then I'd get there and I wouldn't know where these words were that were coming out of my mouth or to teach the Relief Society, which is the women. And it would be this beautiful lesson and people would be in tears and be like, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. And I was just open to the spirit telling me what to say to give to these people. And I was taught that. And then I know that tons of people in the spiritual community are like, well, I'm just gonna let spirit guide and I'm just gonna, the the teachers and the extended masters are gonna come in and tell me what to say. I don't need to prepare anything. And it's beautiful. And it's exactly what people needed to hear all the time. And I was taught that from childhood. So, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right, yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, we're channeling it. Uh, I was, um, you know, I'm helping a client put together a podcast and he often says he he used to be a Canadian. He used to live in Canada. And when people like Wayne Dyer and Deepak were traveling around America back in the 80s, I think, or 90s, they didn't come to Canada. So he put on events for them throughout Canada. So he met Wayne Dyer personally. And Wayne would often say, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I know that I'm going to say exactly what you need to hear. So he would often say that before he went on stage. Yeah. I'm just going to show up yeah. and start talking. And I say that with everything I do, with clients, with shows, with you know groups, just show
0: up. Yeah, <laughs> and- but, 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 but Karen, don't you sometimes, some of the people that you teach and guide, don't you need to teach them that? And, and it's hard when we get older to wrap our head around the fact that what's going to come out is what needs to come out and right. just trust and be open to the guidance. Um, where I sit with that now is I open my heart. So talking about the church and having callings and being everybody has something that they do in the church. Well, my favorite calling in the church was the ward activities chairperson, meaning I did all the activities for the entire congregation for eight years, all the barbecues, all the breakfast, all the, you know, field trips, everything, firesides. I did that for eight years and I was taught to sit and make sure that there was the message that there was Christ in the message and to get guidance from the spirit. Well, guess what I do for a living now I am an event planner and I sit there and somebody comes to me, you know, and I I'll be running, helping run a conference and somebody comes and goes, Oh, somebody's in this room and we've booked both rooms at the same time. I don't know how it missed all of us on the schedule. What are we going to do? And I, and I sit there and I, I finally, even in the last couple of weeks I've realized this is how I'm able to do what I do is I sit and I, I actually go to my heart. I don't think about it. I go to my heart and the answer comes, Oh, that's all right. We're going to use that other room that nobody's using right now. Right. Nobody's in that other room, even though it's set up, move the chairs around. We're going to go use it, get a mic in there. Can we get a mic in there? Great. And I don't know where it comes from. And I started doing that when I had working for, um, I had a corporate job where I did all their recognition. When everybody hit all their goals, I would throw all their parties. And I would sit there and I'd go, okay, this problem. And if, if I went to my heart, the answer would appear, and guess what I'm known for? I'm the problem solver. Well, I'm not doing it. You know, it's the connection to source. I was taught that growing up in the Mormon church, but it's it's not throwing that out. And and I do, I, I create conscious events and i just did a helped a facilitate an entire event last night where bowls and chanting and connecting into your heart and and people were telling me their experiences and oh my gosh and i just sat there holding space in the room cuz i wasn't the one playing the bowls or leading the leading the uh, meditation but so much fun and the funny thing is we talk about this we talk about this i'm living my bliss yeah. I am living my purpose. Running events, does that sound like living my purpose? But I sit here, oh gosh, you've been talking about it. Oh, it's happening. I call it Happy Sparkles. Uh-huh. And I'm starting to think about this conference that I'm helping IANS, International Association of Near Death Studies. Like, I'm helping them plan this conference where 500 people are going to show up. And there's meals and rooms and speakers. And they go, oh, we don't know what to do about this with registration. And, and I sit and Bliss, sparkles run through all my veins and I'm like, challenge accepted, it comes again. And I'm like, this is what we're gonna do. And magically, most of the time it all just works out because oh, I let goodness. it fall into place. This this gifted wow. friend of mine who's worked with me a little bit now, she, she illustrated it. She said, Kristen, I've watched you. And it's as though you see it like it's a big piece of sacred geometry. And I said, it is though. It totally is. And this event or this thing that I'm planning, or even if it's a birthday party, it's this geometric shape that I see. And if I connect into it, it all just fits and falls into place. Falls in place. Amazing. Beautiful. And and it's just doing events. You know, that's (gasps) not healing the planet but it's creating ripples that heal the planet oh we my get god bringing together together is so important bringing and people, you know people. you know what i'm talking about karen because you yeah. do run events you've yeah. done it for decades
1: yeah yeah it's so important i mean i you know i do mostly stuff online and that would sort of serve me well during you know what during that time in 2020 2021.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah huh. everybody was like what's this zoom Don't and i've mention been the zoom. word i've been yeah, doing zoom I- for 10 years
1: but, uh, but the guides have said to me, the Holy Spirit has said to me, you know, whatever vernacular you want to use, that bringing people together.
0: It will spit my water out.
1: Physically is so important. It's so important to bring people together physically and to have that physical connection as well as the connection on Zoom. I mean, some of my best friends, you know, like I've only met on Zoom, the people I've had yeah. on the shows and you, but you did come down to Australia. I so did. I met you, physically got to hug you and yeah. we sat on the bed and chatted and it was great. But um, you said something in the group the other day, which was prompted me to ask you again to share your story. Oh, yeah. About And I said, I want you to share this publicly because I often do groups where I don't record and people can share openly and not worry about being on a, you know, platform and it's not recorded. And yeah, just so people can talk. And uh, you said something about being angry at Andrew for leaving you and how you dealt with that. And I thought, wow, that was such a
0: beautiful story. Do you want to share yeah. That, that? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. When when he passed away, you know, he was, he was 50 years old. And we've been together 26 years and we built a life and we'd added onto our home. And he was a Jack of all trades, master of like four. So I have welding tools and I have plumbing tools and he was a concrete man, but I also have, you know, recording equipment. Cause he was a musician, you know, there's a guitar hanging, one of his guitars here, like just stuff. And I've come to realize because he's come through <laughs> in readings, um, You know, he was a, he was a bit of a hoarder. He was a shopaholic, not like you see on the TV shows and it's disgusting and gross, but there's a lot of stuff. And um, you've heard of this thing called Swedish death cleaning, which is uh, you clean everything up. So nobody has to deal with all your things when you pass away. That's what it is. Right, man. I'd wish I'd heard about that before he got sick. (laughs) So he'd moved to the higher realms and Sometimes I would have a really beautiful connection with him. Um, but I was still dealing with everything in this world that he left behind. I had a house unfinished and stuff to clear out of the garage. You couldn't even walk through our driveway. There were so many tools and equipment and supplies of construction and trucks. And I, I couldn't even tell you. It just uh, incredible you know, I love the experiences and the miracles that happened over the last year with him. But I was doing the dishes one night. And I tend to get a lot of messages when I'm doing the dishes for whatever reason, I think it's the water is a good conductor, right? And I'm mindlessly so you know, some people go walking, I do dishes, whatever. And I started to let the emotions flow, I'd been holding a lot in because I'd had a lot to plan. And I was taking care of children who lost their dad. So I'm sitting there doing the dishes, doing the dishes, and I Thinking about all the things I had to do, and all the dishes, and uh, there's this thing doesn't work because he never fixed that before he passed away. He always said he was going to fix it, and it's building and it's building, and I got mad. i got so mad. I I was freaking out, and I don't usually get like this, but I remember picked up the dish that I was in my hand and I threw it into the sink, shattered everywhere, and I said, I'm "So mad at you." I was like, "Damn it." Tam and Andrew, I want you to come back right now. I want you to stand here in front of me in your spirit form. Tell me you're sorry. Tell me you're sorry for all of this. Just sweaty, hot, tears. I was screaming. I don't know where my kids were, hopefully in bed. Nobody saw, nobody heard that I know of. But I lost my, I lost it. I lost my mind. It was one of those grieving moments when no matter how much you know, it hits you, right? And it did, it hit me really hard. And I went to bed in tears. And I woke up the next morning and I happened to be reading a book and it was this book by um, a friend, you've had him on your show, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, and um, it's a book called Not Yet. And uh, in this book, it just so happened that the next chapter I was about to read was on forgiveness. And in this chapter on forgiveness, it said basically um, to sit and wait for somebody to tell you sorry is actually quite selfish. Just forgive them anyway. And I was like, oh, man, synchronicities. That kind of almost made me mad. Like, why did I have to get that synchronicity? Can't I stay mad at him a little longer? (laughs) Right? But I knew I had to take care of this. And it's it's big. It was a pretty big, heavy feeling. I was pretty mad. I had a lot I had to do. Uh, So um, over the course of a few years, you know, different modalities and different things speak to us. And I had learned that labyrinths speak to me. I was just always drawn to rock walking labyrinths. And there was this labyrinth in Southern Utah that I would actually gotten Andrew and a couple of my kids to go to a few months before, but um, it's about a six hour hour drive away and it's called the Desert Rose Labyrinth. And Southern Utah is like the center of Australia. It is Red Rocks, it's where the Grand Canyon is. Um, I, I don't really know the the celsius but fahrenheit it's 105 on a good day it was 112 it was the middle of july and i decided to go down and go walk this labyrinth and i am not a sunbather i don't like to get in the sun i do now after this experience because i'm going to tell you about it but i decided to take this burden that i was carrying this forgiveness and take it to this labyrinth all on my own So I drove down there and I made sure it was noon. It was right in the middle of the day. And that sun was right above me and it was 112 degrees out. And I just wore like some sandals and just this like t-shirt, sundress, nothing else. And it was hot. And I started to walk this labyrinth. And this is a quite large labyrinth. It can take 10 to 20 minutes just to get to the center. And I started to walk this labyrinth and I was like, okay, babe. I forgive you. I forgive you. Oh, I'm so mad. I forgive you. You know, it's like the spirit of the thing convincing myself. And I, and as I walked it, I really did. I started to sit in this forgiveness. And, um, and then it turned to this. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for all the things that I didn't do all 26 years of marriage and all the things I did do that weren't right, or just all, all of this started coming up. And I felt his presence yeah. and he was right there and this voice. And it was kind of uh, often when he comes in and he communicates with me, it's kind of, it's a cross between hearing his voice and a knowing. So it's coming in really fast. And he's like, oh, there's nothing to forgive. There is nothing to forgive. You were perfect. You're beautiful. You knew exactly what I needed. All this stuff came through and, and, you know i'm sitting there in tears i'm so sorry and i forgive you but it's just it's clearing it but i get to the center i get to the center of this labyrinth and what do i do i don't know i didn't bring any offerings or anything so i just stood there and i turned and faced the sun and i closed my eyes and i put my hands out and i'm standing there like this and the sun is just baking down on me and the little beads of sweat, like I could feel my skin glistening, And every little bead of sweat felt like it was a magnifying glass of that hot, hot sun. And I could feel myself literally burning. And I don't know if I stood there for five minutes, or 20 minutes, it felt a long time. And the sweat was pouring and I could feel it gather at the back of my neck and trickle all the way down my back, behind my bra, down my spine, all the way down my legs to the ground. So I was literally just dripping this sweat all the way down. It felt like all of that, the forgiveness, the sorry, all of it was just burned off, completely burned away. Like a phoenix, I don't know, but it just completely burned away. And at some point I gathered myself and I love the sun now. I absolutely love sitting out in the sun and I didn't before this, but uh, it it's so healing And then I was like, well, I didn't really have an intention or prepare what I was going to do as I walked out of the labyrinth. So I was like, okay, um, I'm just going to start walking out. And lo and behold, actually, my spirit guide, Elizabeth, showed right up. She always comes on this side of me. And she showed right up and she was like, "Oh," I could just feel and sense all this happy and this bubbly of like, you are the most beautiful thing. And I love you so much. And now I can show you how much I love you. Cause that's gone. It was as though moving that out made it so she could come in. Yeah. Mm. And, and I just, it healed a huge piece of that grieving part. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the desert rose labyrinth. It's in, uh, Ivins Utah IVINS if anybody wants to traverse down there it's just an open labyrinth in the desert rocks red rocks it's gorgeous beautiful so, yeah
1: and you never you said that that you never felt that resentment and that why did you leave me with all this crap again like yeah that, that
0: every, every once in a while it pops up if i go to try and find something in the garage <laughs> i'm looking for a hammer and i find eight grinders but i don't find a hammer And I'm like, seriously. And I start. It creeps up, and then I go. But it's fine. It's totally fine. Because, you know, it is, it is fine. What are these things that we worry about? Why? You know, what are these things that we hold on to? You know, there's nothing to resent them for. It's as it should be.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, darling one.
0: Oh, look at the time. Four four. four. I'm not looking. It's four 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 for you. Mm -hmm. oh it's 10 44 p.m for me uh 444 is my number right now thank you (laughs) there's
1: so much more I'm just thinking I could ask you a million more questions because I know because unlike most of the people I have on the show I know your story yeah Um,
0: he's he's around me all the time and and um I've had some amazing experiences recently and he will have been gone five years this March five Um, God, it seems like yesterday, mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. He's a beautiful spirit guide for me too. And he teaches
1: me a lot. When you came to Australia, we went to see Jai Jag, Jagdish, you know, that beautiful singer. Oh my gosh, yes, I do remember and Jai. We were sitting in the audience and there was something, we were talking about something he came to. I remember exactly. Something. hilarious. What
0: did he you? say? Well, honestly, Karen. so um, you got us in so we could um, see Jai perform. And the people we were traveling with decided not to come. So you and I, and it was finally just me and you. And you had counseled me along over the last year and after he had transitioned and moved to the other realms. And so we were kind of waiting for Jai to start performing. And we were like leaning in and whispering to each other. And you were like, oh, you know, I've seen cancer and da, da, da. And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, how was it when he passed? And la, la, la. You know, we were starting to talk about these things. And both you and I at the same time were like, I remember in my head what it sounded like, like. He doesn't. He doesn't want us talking about this. And you go. You know, he doesn't really want us talking about this stuff. We need to talk about something else. I remember that. (laughs) And I and I went. Well, you know what, Karen? You never saw it, but he had a really great ass. (laughs) And I think you said something like, "Yeah, he said he did. He had a really great butt." And we were in this hall, and everybody was gathering for giant, and you and I were laughing so hard. I remember what he
1: said now because we were talking about the cancer, and he said, "Please don't remember that aspect of my life. Can't you remember how good I was in it? That's yeah. what he
0: said. And it cracked me up. I, I did. I said, "Well, he did have a really great ass." Like, and we were we lost it. But that's what oh, it's God. like. That's what it's really like. I know you know the people
1: he's... that have passed are so joyous. Even I remember who's passed, mm-hmm. who went through so much pain in her life, physical pain and emotional pain. Yeah. She's so joyous. You know, once I yeah. found her, once I got a hold of her, because I didn't want to know that she'd gone. Is she really gone? Is she really gone? When I found her in spirit, oh my God, the
0: joy, the joy that yes. they radiate. The joy, yes. the joy, the joy. I'll be I'll be talking to somebody and sometimes it's over the phone and he'll kind of come up and they'll be like, Ooh there's a really big something really big in the room you know and I'll go yeah and they'll go oh and it's so happy and loving and that's who he was in life too was this big happy loving thing but Mm -hmm. I will I will say this I do want to say this um he he has come through that same friend daughter and everything um another time and she was giving me some messages and she goes I don't really know why he's telling me it in this way Um, But he wants you to know, like, for about the first three weeks, and they don't have a concept of time, but he's telling me in time, for about the first three weeks, it was like what he thought it would be up there. But then after this three-week time, it dropped away, and it is unbelievable and more amazing than anything he could have ever imagined.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he loves it. Mm -hmm. So. You know, he grew up that's, with that Mormon paradigm and I'd love to see him. That's interesting. So yeah. he was creating that
1: Mormon paradigm, like as many uh-huh. people say, you know, what happens when you die, whatever you believe. So if you believe in the heaven or
0: you know, I've heard of or Buddha, you're going to be or Buddha. Buddha or,
1: or I've heard of people say that, you know, atheists who believe that there's nothing will have the experience of lying in their grave. <laughs>
0: With nothing like now, i haven't heard that near-death oh, experience but that's interesting.
1: yeah yeah you know if they don't believe in life after death and then they realize that they're still alive like they're still conscious yes. and they're lying yes. in a grave and they're like what the hell am i doing in there <laughs> <laughs> and they travel with thought and so they start thinking and things manifest and yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so whatever you believe so it sounds like he was saying that that he was experiencing his beliefs and then that fell away after
0: a while and there was so much that's how I interpret it yeah yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and good thing that Reiki is real and I prepared him well because you know I think he learned stuff pretty fast on the other side there for whatever I don't know what that preparation was I don't believe I don't ever it never felt like it was preparing him to pass it meant like it was preparing him for something after Mm -hmm. that's what that all has always felt like to me and Mm -hmm. and there are things you know I've, I've, I've learned just through my studies and I hear this from other people, you know, oh, do you get coins or I see a butterfly and that always makes me think of so-and-so or things like that. Well, they have to learn how to do that. Well, Andrew showed up to my Reiki master and he met her a few times, but he actually showed up to her as well the night that he died. Mm-hmm. And she says she woke up and she's very gifted. She actually had an, I would love for you to interview her, by the way. She had yeah, a okay. near-death experience. as us do that. Being- that's yeah, true. she was having a near death experience as she was being born. um The cord wrapped around her head, and she died and went to the other side, but came back. So she grew up always seeing angels. But anyway, she said she sat up in bed because Andrew and this friend of hers, who was a musician as well, passed away a few years ago. Were sitting at the end of her bed. Oh no, they were standing at the end of her bed, and they were playing guitars. Yeah, playing music, and they were singing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and they did this like guitar leap kick off the edge of the bed and she told me the song that they were singing and playing was spirit in the sky ah going on up to the spirit in the sky and that actually from the time me and andrew met i don't know if we were gross or not or morose but we were like when i die this is the song that's going to be played at my funeral and that was the song that he had always told me his whole life would be played at his funeral and he shows up in the middle of the night playing guitar singing to my friend now that's i would assume that's a little difficult because they go to the other side and they learn how to do these things well i think it's yeah learning
1: i think it i don't think you need to learn you need to know how to acclimate your energy frequency so that you can match a frequency on earth because it's such a dense frequency down here right and when you're flying high now you've got to change that vibe yeah. so yeah. that we down here can find you oh, yeah. yeah well I, a bit of skill to do that you know yeah. it's a skill to do that because if you're flying high why would you want
0: to yeah you know but they but i do i have heard that they sit in classrooms you know a lot of garnet's books are people sitting in classrooms learning yeah. things mm-hmm. uh, in igleya is i think is what he calls it but yeah, you know uh, some people or souls when they pass they have to learn how to ask that butterfly, hey, can I borrow your body for a minute and right. take this essence and show up to my loved ones? right. need right, right. a sign today. They're really sad. Can yeah, we do yeah, that? And yeah, they have yeah. to learn how to do that. So yeah. mm-hmm. I like to think that's what I prepared him well for. I mm-hmm. won't know until he tells me or if I yeah. sit and wait on it long enough. Does it matter? No. But what matters mm-hmm. is that he's in bliss and he shows up and and I'm living my life now.
1: You know, what I'm getting so strongly is what I said before. It's not even prepared is not even the right word. Learned experience lived. That experience of shifting perspective, like letting go of being right, for many that is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. Like I'm right about this and what's it going to take to knock you out of your paradigm that you're hanging on to beliefs that are no longer serving you. What's it gonna take for the world to let go of beliefs that are no longer serving us as a as a human right. race? What right. is it gonna what does it take to change people's minds? Like that experience is huge, and yeah. it's it's a collective experience that we're having here on earth. There so- it
0: is, and and when you when I put that in uh along the lines of thinking about my late husband and and who he was, mm-hmm. oh man, he was more stubborn than me, and I'm pretty stubborn, and he, you could not, and he was dogmatic, like, you know, mm-hmm. it was his way, was the right way, was the only way, often, mm-hmm. and we would go back and forth when I walked away from the church, and and it was interesting, actually, because he did tell me the last year of his life, he did say, um, you know, honey, I do see that there are problems here, I just feel like I can make a change from the inside. And so he's, that's why he stayed with one foot in and one foot out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But anyway, but yeah, it it, it it the ultimate shift. You know, we've talked about before, and sometimes you have guests, and they talk about getting hit over the head by the spiritual two-by-four.
1: Yeah, right? the spiritual sledgehammer. I call it the spiritual <laughs> sledgehammer. I've had
0: lots of them. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, that's yeah. his life experiences, I mean. You know, I, I don't know that he had to die to get that, but that's sure what he got when he passed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's what you're telling me. Yeah, shift in his perspective.
1: Shift in perspective from fear to love. That's what I think it was Marianne Williamson attributed to her or or Nelson Mandela. Or, anyway, the a miracle is a shift in perspective from fear to love. That's right. what she calls a miracle. A miracle is a shift in perspective from fear to love. That's a miracle ah uh, and that's that, i've never and heard that's that what he, yeah that's what he achieved in this lifetime
0: yeah shifted perspective yeah. From and love. and guess what i get to learn it now too
1: yeah Do you know, I, he, he taught you
0: well he taught you well
1: there's so much more to your story i i don't think we've got time tonight but um I wanted you to share also, maybe on another another time. We'll have you back. The oh, edit something else out. <laughs> the experience of meeting your birth dad—that—that that was something I remember. You oh, told us all that's about a long. Story. But that's a long story. That's another show. We'll do. Yeah, that
0: I do. I do have an entire book right book. here. We've got to get it in the book, Dying. Put it. Yeah, in book, but I have an entire book about, and I I will say this, and it would be it will be coming at some point, but. We are connected spiritually. I have a spiritual DNA that definitely, and I have learned this through meeting my birth parents, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, growing up with my parents. And I've actually had some recent experiences too. We'll talk about it another time, but that spiritual DNA is just as important as my earthly DNA. Absolutely. And it makes me who I am. Yeah, and absolutely. There is a reason that I am this mix. Mm-hmm. And I have learned it recently now, and I can't wait to like share that with the world. So, get it
1: down, write it down, get it down. We, <laughs> we, could, have have it prom- out. we could have been promoting the book next time, but honey, one oh, oh it's, been, it's been eight years coming, but we got you on the show to share just some of your story, and it was so yes, I oh,
0: love you so much. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Thank you for everything you've given me, too. I sit in gratitude. You're one of the names that's on a short, a long list, but you're always at the top people I'm grateful for when I write it out. It's true.